0: Good morning, everyone, so Cedric and I are up here. We're trying to figure out are, is someone back there? Do you have donuts or something? Because it's really crowded back there, and we want to know like, what do you have? Somebody back there has something, anyway. We got to figure that out. Actually, it's kind of crowded back there, too. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you feel a little bad and you only want to bring the donuts in so far. But come on, share. This is church, so anyway. Welcome. Glad you're here uh, today with us. My, uh, actually, my second job in a church was as an interim youth pastor. And uh, I've been doing youth ministry for a little while, but this was my first time, you know, kind of in charge and, and having kids come to me. And there was, uh, there was this uh, high schooler, and I was talking with him, and he was just the, the brightest kid, you know. One of, those, uh, one of those students you look at, and you just see all this potential, you know what I'm talking about? And very witty, very, very funny kid. You'd think that he was probably extremely popular. At least, you know, that, that would be what you would expect. And and uh, But as he's talking to me, he starts to reveal that actually he's really struggling with some things. His family is extremely broken. All kinds of things going wrong there. He has uh, really... Not the same opinion of himself that I had. He really lacked confidence. He, he, in fact, it was uh, such a struggle that he wasn't even sure he valued his life very more. Now, as I'm listening to this, what, what's happening inside is, is sheer terror. I am just panicked. I'm like, you know, this may sound familiar. Like, I just don't know what to say, right? I don't know what to do as I'm hearing all of these struggles in this kid's life. And so, you know, I thought about it, and who and was my conclusion? Here's what I need to do. I need to go to Bible college. So I packed up and moved. I didn't help him any, but I decided that's what I needed to do. Now, earlier this year, we had some sermons where, uh, where I think, Pastor Bob did most of them. We talked about, especially in grow groups, but in life in general, we need to be living a transparent kind of life, and uh, among the verses there, we, we saw James 5:16. among other things that involves confessing your, your sins to each other. Now, we had some groups who uh, really kind of latched onto that. Yeah, I know, we really do need to press forward in living life together in a little more transparent way. We need to make sure that we know each other well enough to know what's most important and what's really going on, and they were having some success at that. At the same time, we began to ask for questions for this series this summer, uh, and, you know, what are your questions that we would you'd like us to preach on? Someone wrote in and said, hey, you know, we really like what we've heard, and we really do feel convicted. We need to live more transparent lives. But to tell you the truth, uh, it's really scary, not To do that, that's, that's scary too, but to be the person hearing it is terrifying. And now we're listening to this stuff and it's kind of like, ah, what do we do? And we don't know what to do with that. Maybe you could preach on that. And so here was the question that was developed out of that communication. How do I respond confidently? to the confessions of others. Now we'll think about uh, confessing sin and responding to that, but I'm going to go a little broader today. Just when people live in a really transparent open way with you, whether it's one friend or in your group, your your grow group Uh, Maybe they're just talking about a relational problem or or just the, the really difficult emotions that are involved with a health struggle or the sadness of losing someone they loved. I mean, it's just, you know what it is. It's a list a thousand miles long of things that can happen in people's lives, and they share that. And that transparency is, it's a little intimidating. I mean, it really is a little scary. We don't know what to do. We really aren't sure what to say. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're not even sure we want to hear that much. You know, that's another problem. And if there is sin involved, that's just extra uncomfortable. It is, for us, a confidence crisis. Now, going to Bible college for me was a really good move. It was a good thing, and it's just an incredible privilege, if you get the chance, to go and do almost nothing but focus on God's Word is, is an incredible privilege but that's not what I'm going to send you off to do today. We're going to look at some things that all of us need to be able to do without going to Bible college so that we can respond with a, where where do we find that confidence when people are doing what they need to do, which is to live transparently with us, what are we going to do? Here's the first thing we'll think about, and that is to clarify your role. It is important that we we not make too much of this. Uh, That would be the first side of this issue, that we shouldn't make too much of it. Now, I haven't, uh, I haven't been admitted to the hospital since I was like three or four. I had my tonsils out. And uh, so, you know, golly, it's been 30 years or more. And uh, <laughs> I said or more. It's true. It's true. Um, uh, but my wife, unfortunately, has been in the hospital many times. And, uh, and lots of different experiences. We've sort of become professional patients. And we think we're going to write a book someday about, you know, how to be a patient. But or how to have a good appointment with your doctor, or something like that. Um, but this one time, uh, she'd been in the hospital most of the week, and she had, uh, you know, her regular physician was kind of checking in from the office, and then that she had a specialist working with her, trying to figure out the source of this problem. And it was taking days, and we were getting towards the end of the week, and I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital towards the end of the week, but it, on Friday afternoon, it starts getting real quiet for, for a lot of people, and, um, and people start disappearing and you know still things aren't settled and uh, what happened was one physician just tried to prepare for the weekend to be able to handle things remotely you know over the phone and just wrote up a lot of papers and signed some things and left those in case and then her specialist was still debating tests and that kind of thing and Friday night came along and it got real quiet and the nurse came in and said okay pack up you're going home and we're like We are? Well, but, well, no, those doctors aren't coming in again. You're out of here. So come on, let's go. You're going, you're going. Apparently, she had decided that she had the ability, because she was holding these papers, to make her workload a little lighter. And so here we are driving home, kind of like, I wonder what that was about. And uh, we found out later our doctors were shocked. Her doctors were shocked at that. But you see, there's someone extending beyond her role. And you don't want to do that with people. And so, you know, when when someone lives in in a really transparent way with you and they share part of life, you don't need to be their counselor. You don't need to be their physician or their attorney, unless, of course, that's actually what you are. But, you know, that's a special case. You know, most of us, we don't need to be those things. You don't have to be a counselor. You know, here's the thing. Most people... When they share with you, they're not expecting you to fix their problem. They really aren't. That's something we put on ourselves. Like, I've got to come up with a response here that really changes things. That's what we put in our heads, right? But just think about it. Most people are not expecting that of their friends. Now, I want to take you on a really, really quick tour of some pretty familiar scriptures. I, I know you know this, but I think it's important we remind ourselves. It is the Lord who heals. He's the physician. He's the one who redeems and leads and heals. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Familiar words. But what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. God's the, the, the change agent here. He's the real power in people's lives. We need to remember that. Now, Philippians, that was the there was a church there that Paul had poured a lot of his life into. He had gone there. He'd visited them. He wrote them letters. He sent them friends. He uh, had preached to them. But he was very, very clear about real, where the real power was. It said, he said, God is the one who began this good work in you. And I'm certain that he won't stop before it's complete on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Paul is absolutely clear. Now, he's going to work hard for the Philippians, but he knows God is the one who's at work. Romans fourteen four. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. When someone is sharing their life with you, you know they have a they have a master, they have a Lord, or they have the potential to, to make God their Lord, to, to submit to Him. In that, there's at least that potential. And and you're not the master, and that's good news. That's that's a good thing. Second Corinthians one three, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is a merciful God who always gives comfort. He's the one who actually brings the the stuff to the heart and to the soul and to the spirit, right? That brings comfort. So don't make too much of your role. But then on the other hand, don't make too little of it either. Don't make light of it. The very next verse in Corinthians, he comforts us. So when we're in trouble, we can share that same comfort with others in trouble. And this is what is on God's mind. Now, not all of our experiences in the hospital have been bad. There was a well actually it wasn't the greatest one but another time Melanie was in the hospital she'd had a surgery it kind of went wrong and, and there was a lot of bleeding in fact i didn't know someone could bleed so much and and so there were there were transfusions and she was really out of it and so you know there she was after the surgery and just Like, I I didn't know anyone could sink so far into the sheets. It was just sort of like there was a sort of a shadowy figure there, and there was a nurse taking care of her through the night, and and she had an English accent. So that was really cool, you know. But Melanie's really out of it, and, and so much so that she wakes up in the morning, and she's not even sure if that was real. Right. It was just this soothing, comforting voice and this compassionate care that just made her feel confident, you know, that she was going to make it through the night. And she wasn't even sure it was real until the next night the nurse walks in. She's like, oh, you're real. I wasn't, I thought maybe that was a whole angel kind of thing or I was dreaming, you know, but it turns out you're actually real. And you see, the, here was someone who, who made a difference. Now, now, that nurse didn't do the surgery, and, you know, nurses generally don't do diagnoses and they don't give orders and prescribe things and, and they aren't supposed to discharge you from the hospital generally, you know, but they don't send you packing. But, but they do some things and they, they take care of you in a way, get this, that alters the healing process. It changes how you experience what's happening. And that can be for good or for bad, right? And, and, and we experience what, what healing is happening in a different way based on the kind of care that they give. And that's our calling. First Thessalonians 5, God says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. You're going to face a lot of different stuff. And, you know, the people around you, they're not going to be your Lord and they're not going to be your physician, your great physician. They're not going to be your healer. But they're going to be maybe like nurses, they're going to be the people who who comfort you and encourage you in ways that, that change how you experience what's happening. Even experience differently what God is wanting to do in your life. So don't make too little of your role either. See this I think is what God is saying to us when he says, you're my family and I want you to be family to each other. I want you to encourage each other, to comfort each other in a way that changes how we experience even what God is doing within us. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, 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 but tell me what to do. So that's the next thing. What do we actually do to encourage each other? I want to say focus on the vitals, you know, when you go into the uh, the ER. Now, I haven't been admitted, but I was in the ER a few years ago. Some of you know that. And uh, you know, the the nurses are all focused on the vitals. You know, it's like they are just obsessed with your temperature and your heart rate and your blood pressure. And I'm like, I don't care. My ankle is killing me. You know, it's in pieces. It's my ankle. I don't care what my heart rate is. Of course, you know, you, you understand why. But they they're, they're focused what? on on the critical key life measures, you know, where is their life, right? This is what we have to watch and protect, and this is what we're interested in. And so, there are kind of these really basic things. Now, this isn't going to blow you out of the water, or it's not going to make you say, oh, I'm so glad you went to Bible college so you could learn that. You you know this. You know these things. I just want to convince you how valuable they are. So, for example... There's listening, and listening carefully is powerful. James one nineteen, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Sometimes we we downplay listening. I don't know if you've ever said, you know, I just all I could do was listen. I don't know what more there was I could do for this individual, but I tried to, to listen for a while. And we downplay it, and I think it's because it feels so passive to us. Like we're not getting to dig in and do anything as though we're not getting to. And yet, if you just will think about it a little bit from the other side, what about it when it's you and you need someone to be a good listener to you and you find someone? Do you value that? Absolutely you do. Do you look at them and think, why aren't you doing something, you know, instead of just listening to me? No, that's not crossing your mind, is it? We downplay it, and yet we know it to be true on the other side, that when when someone is a good listener and they listen to us, we feel heard. And when we feel heard, we feel comforted. And being comforted, we're encouraged. And absolutely nothing, perhaps, has changed in our circumstances, but there we are encouraged within them because someone listened well to us. Do not, do not underestimate the importance that we listen well to each other. God says, encourage each other in how you listen to one another. It's powerful stuff. It's another thing, and that would be to pray earnestly, James 5.16. This is back to the confession passage. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, don't raise your hands. This is a hypothetical question. You don't have to confess right now. But have have you ever been in a situation, you hear from someone, and you say, you know, I just... I think all I can do is pray for them. You know, have you thought, had that thought? I've had that thought. If you've also had that thought, shame on us. Shame on us. Just think for a moment. Just think for a moment what that means. Like, well, wow, I guess all I can do is go talk to their creator and the most powerful person and force in the universe, Almighty God, I guess all I can do is bring them before them and, and see if God would act on their behalf and be involved in that and encourage and heal. And, you know, I guess that's all I can do. <laughs> Seriously? Is this really what we want to say? And yet we have that sense. Once again, it it doesn't feel active enough for us. No, let me get in there and dig at this something, but... But James says, when you hear confession, the right response is prayer. And and, and it's effective prayer. Now, effective at what? Right? You know, you're not uh, creating the forgiveness. You know that. You're not even applying the forgiveness. What's the effective thing going on here? What is effective about prayer in that setting? James goes on and mentions Elijah. He says, Elijah was a, he was a human being, you know. You might think Elijah, the great prophet, true, but he was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. All right. Someone here has been praying this weekend, and we want to know who you are. But just stop. Just knock it off right now. This is August, right? (laughs) So you can confess to that later, and we'll have a little discussion. But anyway, someone's been praying. I don't know if it was Elijah. So here's Elijah. And... uh, And James says that he's a great example of effective prayer. And he mentions this, you know, prays, it doesn't rain, he prays, and then it does rain. Let me ask you this. Did Elijah make it rain? No. Furthermore, when you go and you look at Elijah's story, now, uh, confession, I could totally be wrong about this one. So, you know, watch me here. But when I look at Elijah's story, I'm not even sure that the whole let's not have it rain or rain was even Elijah's idea. It looks to me like it's God's idea. God's idea is, hey, you know what? Israel's got a lot of problems, really evil king. These I need to get these people's attention and so it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Pray that, Elijah. Okay. Now I know, some of you are like, What does that mean about prayer? Okay, just don't get hung up on that quite yet, right? Or at all. And and, and he he says, this is what's going to happen. So so now, what's what's the effect? What's happening? Well, Elijah's prayers and his announcement and his pronouncements as a prophet and his talking to God is drawing attention on God. And he's taking natural circumstances, you know, every day it doesn't rain or it rains or something like that, and he's saying to people who might miss it otherwise, people, this is about God, right? Watch this. God may it not rain anymore, right? God wants your attention, You're messed up here. He was talking to people in the depth of sin, and they were facing judgment and punishment. God's like, I want your attention before I have to punish you. So, and then he prays, people, watch this. This is about God. God, would you make it rain? And it rains. See, now, it was extremely effective at taking ordinary life kinds of circumstances and getting people to think, maybe it's about God. And it seems to me this is exactly what we're doing. When someone confesses and we go to prayer, I'm not purchasing your forgiveness. I know God's going to forgive you, but we're going to put our focus on God now in the midst of this because that's where it rightly belongs. That's where we find forgiveness. And that's where our focus in life needs to be right now. As you try and find your way out of this mess, only God will take you there. That's where our attention needs to be. That's effective prayer. Pray earnestly. Listen carefully. Another thing would be to speak wisely. I notice, uh, you know, again, I say it myself. I hear people say this a lot. We worry about saying the right thing. Someone uh, is struggling or we hear about their life and we worry about saying the right thing. The, the thing that will make some change in life or not offend someone, right? Right? And, and so here we are, we're, we're going to a funeral, and we're not sure what we should say to the people who are grieving. Or someone uh, comes to work and announces that their, their spouse has left them, and, and we just want to say the right thing, right? Here's the thing. I think we should worry less about the right thing, where it's the thing that makes a change or doesn't offend, and better to think about the right thing, where the right thing is a biblical thing, or or a spiritual thing, or a true thing. That kind of right thing would be an awesome thing to think about. James 3 describes what wisdom is. Wisdom from above, from God, heavenly wisdom, is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Now, when someone is struggling, when they have to confess something or they reveal some struggle in life, um, what I notice is that friends and family around people like that, not always, but... Generally, often really excel at coming up with a a really, a lot of loyalty. A lot of, boy, yeah, we're with you. You know, we're kind of on your side. And it's, you know, made me say before, maybe you've heard it, you know, family members, when you're really struggling with something, sometimes family members, they are the worst counselors. Now, they're really good at being loyal. And you need that. You need to feel like you've got some people with you. But in terms of Loyalty sometimes it comes with the great sacrifice of wisdom, just in all honesty. And we have that. So here's what we need to know. The closer someone is to you, the more important it is that you think about wisdom and not just loyalty. He says that wisdom is pure, which means if my words are going to be wise, they're going to need to be consistent with God thoughts, God's principles, God's ideas, not just my own judgments. Well, here's what I think. You want to know what I think? Here's what I think about your situation. No, wisdom is pure. It corresponds with what God thinks, not with what I think. And then he goes on, he says, it's peace-loving, it's gentle at times, and then if you got seatbelts, fasten them, it's willing to yield to others. Wow! Now, if you think about that for a while, you'll know how wild that is because you don't hear that very often. Wise words, then, are going to promote reconciliation. They can't make it happen, but wise words are going to promote reconciliation. They're going to promote humility. They're going to promote yielding yourself to others. That is so different than what we sometimes give people. What people are so often when they're struggling looking for. They're looking for that kind of unconditional loyalty. Yeah, you know, you're right. You know, you should protect yourself here. You know, you gotta, hey, don't take any more of that. But let me ask you this. Is it not clear if you look at all for very long at the life of Jesus that that there were many things more important to him than protecting himself? (laughs) If you're not convinced of that, go look at his life again. That's all I can say. Willing to yield to others. Now that's wisdom. Wise words. He says, shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. Wise words are going to promote honesty. They're going to promote balance over self-promotion. This isn't all about protecting you and promoting you and getting the best for you. It runs deeper than that with God. Wise words. Think carefully before you speak, and speak wisely. And then act Practically, You know, paying a doctor bill or, or watching someone's kids, making a meal, delivering that, driving someone to an appointment. These are all really practical things you can do to support people who are facing something difficult. And yet, so many of those things, it's easy to just feel like they're insignificant. Here's why I think it happens. We're, we're making a meal for someone, and the thought occurs to us, well... Yeah, or maybe we're thinking about whether we could. Well, yeah, I could make a meal, but it's not going to bring their loved one back. This person is grieving. All I'm doing is giving them a meal. Uh, It doesn't change their grief at all. Or, you know, we're going to mow someone's lawn. Yeah, I'll do that, but what's the big deal? You know, it won't make their husband come back. You know, those things are true, but it can accomplish great things. Here's an example in Second Corinthians. Paul has been writing to this church about uh, an offering, collecting an offering for some people who are in the midst of a famine. He says, this service that you perform, just this, this practical thing, putting some cash together, getting it all assembled so that it can be put on a ship and sent to another part of the world. He says, this service that you perform not only supplies the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Now, once again, what's happening here? It's drawing attention back onto God. Is it uh, taking care of, you know, is it changing the, the weather and the growing the crops and changing it so there isn't a famine? Well, no, but it's feeding them for a while. It's a, it's a few meals, and that's an opportunity for those people to go, well, thank you, God, and now the attention is a little less on famine and a little more on God. To the point where now my lips are not worrying so much about my problem and focused a little more on praising God, and that is so good for us. That changes how we're experiencing what's happening, and practical things have a way of doing that. We know that we're not the great physician. We know those, those simple things we do for other people don't fix the core root problem, but that's where God's at work, and we're called to come alongside and to encourage and comfort. Now, the last thing would be to affirm the gospel. When someone uh, confesses a sin or your, people in your group are really transparent, the question is, what's going to determine your attitude or your outlook or, or your level of confidence to hear that and deal with that? So often I think we, uh, we think of things like, well, it kind of depends on how severe the problem is. You know, I'm not sure we could handle someone with this problem, but we could probably handle someone with this problem, right? The severity of the problem. Or maybe it's how much training we have. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I took a class on grieving once. That's okay. But, you know, this this thing over here, that scares me. I'm not sure I want to be around that. Or um, it's your temperament. You know, that's not really my thing. Or it's your own emotional margin. Maybe you're like, well, I'm feeling kind of weak myself right now. And, of course, all of these things do impact us. But when we're looking for confidence in how to respond to people, why would we not get the most confidence from the thing that we are most certain of? And that is the gospel. We look at a situation and we think, you know, there's so much uncertainty I, you know, now I'm not even sure if this person is saved, or I don't know if they'll actually confess, or I don't know if they'll be successful at staying away from this sin, or, or, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to make good choices. I don't know if they'll come back to the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's just so much uncertainty. But here is something we are certain of. It is the gospel. Now, we look at a few of a few elements of it. This, uh, a few days ago, this was the entire sermon. I promise it won't be as long as the sermon. It, we, I broadened out, but, but this was my first idea. This actually, I think, is where our confidence should be found. So, for example, here's one element of the gospel, and that has to do with sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. Sin is absolutely deadly. It's destructive. And we know that even when, uh, as God's children, we're, we're free from the, the punishment of sin, it's still a terrible thing. 1 Peter 2 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because, you know, you'll have the, the eternal punishment of it? No, you're free from that, but those things still wage war against your soul. This is still awful stuff. And we should be absolutely convinced of it. Sometimes, you know, someone confesses something and it feels like the, the easiest way to deal with it is just kind of like, you know, that's okay. It's not that bad. You know, it's, it's all right. You know, come on, smile. Let's sing kumbaya or something. You know, just like, come on, don't be so sad. And, and it just feels easier for us if we could minimize the problem. I don't, I don't think that's really helpful. Have you ever had someone in your life, because some of you, we know you're out there, some of you are really, really hard on yourselves in this area. Some of, you, some of you take it way too lightly, right? Some of us do. Some of us are not nearly serious enough about sin. And then others of you just beat yourself up over this. And sometimes when I'm talking to someone like this, there is this temptation, at least in me, to want to, to like go, you know, lighten up. Lots of people do this. You know, it's just like, let's get past this. But here's the thing about people who are very hard on themselves in regards to sin. I don't think that they're making too much of their sin. I don't think that's really the problem. Usually those people are making far too little of God's grace. That's really the problem. That's actually what's going on. So we don't have to let people off the hook. You know, you can't do that anyway. Sin is deadly, and we should take it serious. Something else we do with it, another aspect of sin, is that we can empathize. I notice that we have a couple different responses. You know, someone lets us know something's happening, and and, uh, you know, there's being judgmental, and we could talk about that, except you know exactly what that is. So, you know, I just only have to mention it. But there's also being, uh, what I would say, scandalized. You know, someone tells you, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, or you see it in someone, you observe it, or you hear it secondhand, which is even worse. But, but you know, you're aware of that, and you're just scandalized. Like, oh, well, I am shocked. I am I am just appalled. Now, see, this is now your, your core reaction is that the, the, the sin, the stuff, the, the garbage is the big thing to you, not the person. You know, sin somehow is the bigger issue to you than the sinner. That should not be. That should not be. Now, as I said, I already said, we take this absolutely dead serious because it's deadly stuff. But but you don't need to be scandalized. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it may not be your sin. they, They may have done something that you know you would never dream of doing, and that may actually be true, but all have sinned. Wow, I know what that's like to fail. I can empathize with you and then of course the cross the grace the love of god elements of the gospel there are so many places we could go here but uh, last week i really went long so i limited myself to one verse hebrews 10:14 for you here it is for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy in all the confusion of why life gets so hard and all the uncertainty of, the, of how things will turn out, here is what I would commend to you as the thing that you should have as your greatest confidence. It is the Lord himself. It is Jesus Christ. It is his cross. It is what he has done. Notice this fascinating verse. Notice the, the tense of how things gone, is happening here. He has, past tense, complete, done, and finished, made perfect forever. That's the first thing. The second thing, he is taking those people and he is making them currently, ongoing process, right now, today, holy. Two things. Two things you should be absolutely dead set, rock solid, certain of, convinced. So here's someone telling you about their sin. Now, if they are a child of God, here's what you know. Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made them perfect. That means he has transformed them from a path that led to death To a path that leads to life, to perfection, to the point where over here at some point they will wear in perfection the righteousness of Christ. Perfect. That is their destiny. It's done. It's sealed. It's where they're headed to. And everything between where we are and between them is process being made holy. What's that look like? That looks like, oh, I stepped into sin again, but I confessed it, and here we are. Now we're going to pray together. Now I receive forgiveness, and hopefully I avoid it again. But along the line, I'm being made holy on the way to what Christ has made certain. And both of those things are guaranteed in Christ. And so when I'm talking with someone, I, I, I may not be certain about them. I may not be confident in what they'll choose. I may not be sh- sure that they're sincere in even confessing something. This might be just to please me. I've had that experience before where especially afterwards I realize, "Oh, they said that to please me. I'm a pastor. That sounded good. But you know what? I don't have to I don't have to freak out over that." I want to Right, Because we want things certain. But I can't be certain about the person. What I can be certain in is Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so I know that either they're a child of God and this is the road they're on. Or they're not a child of God and this is the road they can be on. And it will prove true and reliable for them. That's what I'm convinced in. So all your uncertainty and all the world's craziness... Let it be. I know what I know, and I know what Jesus has done. That's where our confidence should come from. All right, well, there's my answer to the question. Next week, we'll be, uh, we'll be looking at the last uh, question in the series uh, for the summer. And I'm going to tell you exactly how it works, but it uh, it's basically has to do with why did God create me? And so we'll be looking at that next week. Let's pray together.